I'm Rebecca Vega, and this is My Sober Life. Welcome back to another episode of My Sober Life, and thank you for coming back. It has been over four months since I have uploaded a podcast, and that's not great for business or building listenership, so I really appreciate you tuning in. As a little catch-up, I last published in March of 2021, and it is now July 2021. A lot of things happened in a very short time after I published that last post. I thought I was going to take a couple of weeks and edit all of my recordings and then be ready to start publishing and just set them up to publish on time automatically. And that was what I had hoped would happen. But what actually happened, I was coaching high school volleyball at a time where you don't normally coach volleyball because of the pandemic. Our season had gotten pushed back. So that was taking up an extraordinary amount of time. One of my employees underneath me had left in February and their workload was mostly being managed by me. And that was a lot of extra work that I wasn't planning on taking on. And then we kind of had a lot of things happen in a row leading up to Mother's Day. The Thursday before, our last dog that we have was finally ready to go. And we had to put him down, which as all my animal lovers out there know is is absolutely heartbreaking and awful. It was time, but it didn't make it any easier. And he'd been a part of our family for almost 17 years. Right before Mother's Day was the anniversary of my mother's passing, which is always a difficult time for me. Mother's Day is also a difficult day for me usually. It's gotten better year over year, but it is something that I do try to honor and keep sacred around my grief and kind of holding space for it during that time. There also was another significant event that had an anniversary at that time. I'm going to wait to dig into that because I do have a whole episode recorded about that. My counterpart in India died of COVID. He was 34 years old, and that really rocked our team. And then my son brought COVID home, and he got it. And then my other son got it. And then I got COVID. And I had had my first vaccine at that point, but was not fully vaccinated yet. So um, that had knocked me out quite a bit. So I was sick. And then just as I started getting better from COVID, I was playing volleyball and I injured myself and sprained my ankle very badly. And I have been recovering from that ever since. So that was about six weeks ago when I did that injury. And then you can add on a bunch of other things. One of my cousins was tragically killed in a work accident. A former colleague of mine unexpectedly died. And then this past week, a former classmate unexpectedly died. And I think this is happening to a lot of us where because the tragedies keep hitting us in succession, we don't have the time and space that it deserves to honor it, feel it, process it. They just kind of compound on each other until you break. And what that break looks like for all of us is very different. I feel like I'm seeing more videos of people losing it in the grocery store or in line somewhere because that was the tipping point. They'd been holding it together up until that exact point. And then right there is the tipping point and they lose it. And for us, we're like, wow, you're really overreacting in this situation. And then you have the extra scrutiny of the video but I feel like a lot of us are kind of on the edge in that way. 
just because of all of these events that are compounding one on top of the other on top of the other, and there doesn't feel like there's a break. I tried to take some time off from work last month. I had planned it for months. We we're going to spend a nice long weekend up in the mountains attending a family friend's wedding, and then we we're going to go camping for a week. I ended up working almost every single day that we were out for the wedding, and then I ended up not going camping and coming back and working instead because the stress of not getting the work done wouldn't have allowed me to enjoy my vacation. So we can't even take a break when we want to because it doesn't ever leave your mind. You can't take a break from your own brain, at least when you're sober. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> even though I've been practicing managing these different levels of emotion for years, there are still times when I am absolutely and totally overwhelmed. And I have pinpointed it that my anxiety lives in overwhelm. I do not like feeling like the world is falling and that my shoulders are too heavy and all of it is on me to fix or finish or solve. And overwhelm is where I live a lot of the time. So I have been feeling better lately. I've made some decisions around how to delegate work so that I am not so overwhelmed at the office. And we're making plans and preparing for the children to go back to school to help with some things around that. And just taking true time for me every day, whatever that looks like, if it's writing or playing guitar or playing video games or reading a book, taking those little breaks for me to kind of rejuvenate so that I can actually function in this crazy world. So with that, we'll jump right in to today's story. Today, I'm going to tell you another story about high school in which being the life of the party wasn't enough, but the party became life. Once I was introduced to alcohol and partying, it was like I found my calling. I found the thing that not only brought me into circles of other partiers, but also filled me with a sense of confidence and invincibility I had not yet known. I did things I never would have done. I hung out with people I would have avoided. And I said things I never would have said, both positive and negative. So my friends and I gained a reputation for throwing parties, and good ones at that. Even though we weren't welcome at all parties, all were welcome at ours. The first party I ever threw turned out to be my most infamous. A girl had to be taken to the hospital for alcohol poisoning and have her stomach pumped. She was, thankfully, fine and has a lovely, beautiful family in life. The police showed up and gave tickets to everyone left behind. It made the local paper. I was grounded for months. I was branded a bad influence to many students' parents, but I could live with that. Infamy was better than invisibility. Parties became a regular part of my life. Whether I was attending or throwing, almost every weekend was focused on where we would be drinking. They never seemed to look like high school parties you see in the movies. They tended to be lower key, a manageable amount of people, and a lot of fun. Some people took advantage of this, of course. Disrespectful boys who played hide-a-beer to ensure I got in trouble, jerks starting fights in my backyard, and throwing plastic deck chairs up into the trees, some of which we did not discover until a decade later, and drunk idiot teenagers jumping into my next-door neighbor's pool in the middle of the night. Because the school was relatively small, less than a thousand students, and many people overlapped in different groups, information by nature spread fast but it seemed to be even faster in this incubator. 
Sometimes parties would get out of hand because the virtual grapevine would reach far more many ears than initially intended. But over the course of the three high school years of party throwing, it was mostly all good times, incredibly funny stories, and lifetime-bound friendships. Two times during high school, I thought things might be getting out of control. So for Lent, I gave up alcohol. I didn't give up partying, just drinking. One of these times of forced sobriety was prompted by a partying session at a friend's. We tended to rotate between three standard locations, and her house had an amazing basement setting. A small group of us were there that night, and as I had adopted a drinking motto of go hard or go home, I had cuddled myself up to a 101-proof bottle of wild turkey. I don't recall how much I had to drink that night, but anything over two shots of that stuff is too much, and I can pretty much guarantee it was more than that. I got sick. Really, really sick. Like sitting on the toilet while vomiting into a garbage can sick. I locked myself in the bathroom, and I do not know how long I was in there. I woke up on the floor of the basement the next morning, and as others were rousting, we started talking. I asked how I got there, and they said my friend's mom had to break into the bathroom to get me. I had passed out on the toilet, vomit-filled garbage can in my lap. My friend's saint of a mother cleaned me up, cleaned the mess I made, and dragged me to a cozy square of floor and laid a blanket on me. I remember feeling a twinge of embarrassment and a flood of gratitude for her. I was just discussing this incident with a friend of mine over the weekend who was there. And I asked her, I I said, you must have seen everything. You must have seen her open the door, seen me passed out on the toilet, seen her pull me out of there. Now that I'm so many years away from it, I actually can look at it through a completely different lens that isn't so self-centered. And while sure it was embarrassing, now I'm just thinking about the people who helped me in that moment and what that must have been like for them. Was there a moment where my friend's mom was concerned about whether or not I was alive? Was there a moment where she was concerned that she would need to take me to the hospital? And that, I think, is what I'm more embarrassed about than anything. I made someone else have to worry about me in such a way because of choices I had made. As an adult now, looking back, I put myself in my friend's mom's shoes that night. What must have gone through her head as she knocked and knocked with no answer? Taking in the scene when she finally got the door open, trying to wake me with no success, assessing the situation, figuring out where to start. Did she feel fear, panic, dread, annoyance? Once she saw I was comfortably breathing, what did she do first? Did she consider calling my parents? She didn't lecture me about the dangers of teenage binge drinking. She didn't try to talk me out of it. She never mentioned that night to me, not then or in the 25 years since. I think she knew it wouldn't stop me, so she just took care of me and sent the message she could be trusted. I wonder if a similar situation will happen to me when my boys are getting to that age. Will I stumble upon the last bits of a party where one friend took it too far? Will it be my own son? So I stopped drinking for a while after that. Having your friend's mother having to clean you up like an infant after a blowout will make you reconsider your life choices, even if it's only for 40 days. Thank you so much for listening. Send me your questions and stories at mysoberlifepodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe 
wash your hands, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.